Well, how do you have those awkward conversations about money? Today, we're going to take a look. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prudent Money Radio Show. I'm your host, Bob Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Well, conversations about money are tough to have, yet best-selling author Aaron Lawry is here to give us some tips on how to make those conversations as we talk about her book, Broke Millennial Talks Money, Scripts, Stories, and Advice to Navigate Awkward Financial Conversations. Aaron, welcome to Prudent Money. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's interesting. I've interviewed and through the years hundreds of authors who have written about personal finance, yet never a book on how to talk about money. And oftentimes we stay silent, avoid those awkward conversations. And by not having these conversations, you know, a bad financial situation just can get worse. Absolutely. You know, I think the first place to start is to remove the myth that some of these conversations are not appropriate to have, that you just don't ask certain questions about money. How do you get people past that myth? That is really the million-dollar question because we've truly been socialized in so many cases that money is an inappropriate topic of conversation. You don't ask people about money. You don't talk about your own money. And I feel that the other big part is there is so much potential judgment and or shame Mm, wrapped up in the conversation, particularly with people that we would feel vulnerable with, close friends, family members, romantic partners, compared to, listen, that person next to you on the flight, your airplane seat buddy, you can probably open up because (laughs) you don't really care what they think. You're never going to see them again. And that's really why you know that it is truly wrapped up in more of the judgment factor and the fear of that judgment. And in terms of what we can do, we can only just start talking. Those of us who are comfortable about it slowly start to lay the groundwork, hopefully get other people to be comfortable with it. But also it can be small steps. You don't have to all of a sudden go out and post your salary on your Facebook or your Instagram and talk about your actual debt numbers. It can just be the acknowledgement of, hey, I have student loans or, hey, I have some credit card debt. I'm not asking you to necessarily share numbers, but start to get a little bit more open so that we can create a more vulnerable, open discussion around this. You know, I love how you start the book with a reality check about the price of not having awkward conversations. The quote is from a negotiation expert. How much are you willing to pay to avoid an awkward conversation? It's funny, Aaron. I had to read that quote a few times (laughs) to get the significance of it. (laughs) But that quote really speaks to the importance of having these conversations about money. It does. And that's actually one of my favorite quotes from the book as well, because Oh, it is so true for many of us, particularly Mm -hmm. when it comes to negotiation, that we are willing to avoid asking for more or asking for a discount, whatever version of negotiating you're in, because we we just don't want to feel uncomfortable. And that same negotiation expert also makes a great point later on in that chapter about how silence is golden and that you ask for what you want and then you just be quiet and let the silence hang for a little bit because we as people tend to be very uncomfortable in silence. And so sometimes we'll make the ask and then immediately start talking ourselves down because we get a little uncomfortable because we just made that big ask. 
Well, you've broke, you've uh, taken the book, broken, broke it down into specific scenarios and quick, useful advice. You know, let's start with employment. And I would have never thought of this. You say that if you're wanting to ask for a raise, that the best place to start is by asking your coworkers how much they how much they make. Talk about why that is important. How you actually do have that conversation. It's so important because it gives you the information about what you can be earning. And particularly if you think that you might be a victim, for lack of a better word, but experiencing a wage gap for whatever reason. So if you feel that you're being underpaid compared to your coworkers who do the same job, same type of work, you have the same title, it's important to unearth that information. But also to understand what is possible, particularly if you're going into a negotiation, you want a good sense of what is reasonable to ask for. And this is also very true for people who are self-employed. I'm self-employed. And it's really important to talk to other freelancers, writers, speakers, what have you, about how much they charge for their services so you have a better sense of what the market will bear. Now, I know sometimes people talk about going to places like a salary.com or a glassdoor.com that aggregates some of this data. But really, all the negotiation experts I spoke to said, you know, it's a fine starting point. But you want to have a good understanding of either what people directly in your office earn or in an office that is very comparable to your own. If you don't feel safe talking about it at work, which sometimes is the case, then that's where places like LinkedIn can really come into play. And you can just cold email people and ask them how much they make. Now, you want to be a bit tactful. You want to give them a reason as to why you're asking. Don't just one-liner, hey, how much do you make? You know, hi, I'm planning to go in for a negotiation or I'm in the middle of a job interview and I feel that you might have some information that's helpful to me. Could you tell me, and this one I think is a great tactic, do you make over or under and then insert the amount of money here? So that gives them a bit of an out. They don't have to give you the exact number especially if you're talking to coworkers. Do you make over or under $50,000? Do you make over or under $30,000? Whatever it is. So then they have a bit of an out, but they're also giving you really important information. You know, I think it's safe to say, and tell me if you agree with this, this, of course, is a book about money and talking about money, but it also is a book that teaches a, a, a skill set of how to communicate on tough subjects. It really does. And this is one of the most awkward subjects for many of us to talk about, mm-hmm. but is one of the most critical. It impacts so many different areas of our lives. And many of us have been taught not to talk about it. So we're trying to unlearn something we were raised believing and also figuring out how to do this in a way that doesn't potentially compromise any of our relationships as well. You know, one piece of advice you give in the book is to know the difference between a sponsor and a mentor. And the important part a sponsor plays in the process of of getting a raise. Talk a little bit about that. You know, this was a concept that I had actually never heard of until right before I was writing the book last year. And the idea being that a sponsor is that person who is at your actual company who can advocate for you. So let's say that your company doles out raises by bringing a bunch of managers in the room, talking about how they're going to hand out raises. And your sponsor is the person who's in that room that can say, Yep, Erin's done X, Y, Z this year. She deserves this Y raise. Now, a mentor, though, is a person that can provide you with a bit more of the emotional support you might need. That person might not even necessarily be in your office. This can particularly be true for women and people of color who maybe the sponsor is somebody who doesn't look like you, doesn't understand your lived experience in the same way, 
and your mentor perhaps does. So that can be somebody that even could possibly be a shoulder distress cry on if you need to, somebody that you can call that can understand more of the actual experience you're going through. And I really love that distinction because it's two different people who support you in different ways, but that can really help you level up in your career. Once armed with that information, talk about, and, and this is what, what I love about the book is you give so much good uh, small pieces of advice and steps to take in scripts, but talk about how the, in, the best way to approach your boss and effectively ask for a raise. Well, one of the big things that I would say is you're not waiting until they offer you the raise, that you're actually going in early oftentimes three months or so before you would be having that annual discussion where you would get a raise so that you are stating that you want one. And you're also perhaps acting, asking for constructive criticism in order to demonstrate that you've earned it. But one of the options too is saying something along the lines of, I'm hoping we can revisit my salary. It's been, and then you insert the time since it was last set, and I'm hoping we might be able to increase it. Another piece of language that I really liked is this idea of saying, I would like, as opposed to I feel, which is a little bit wishy-washy, or I deserve, which can sound too commanding and demanding, saying I would like, mm. and then whatever your ask is. And also acknowledging that, you know, maybe money isn't something that can be offered right now, especially in this pandemic reality, but are there other things that you can get that were going to make your work life easier, or that's another perk that can be offered if salary increase isn't currently an option, but you do want to stay at that job. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm talking to Erin Lowry about her book, uh, Broke Millennial Talks Money, Script Stories and Advice to Navigate Awkward Financial Conversations. I would put this one on my must-read list. I think it, uh, it, it, I've never seen a book like this. It really breaks down how to communicate. Let's talk a little. I, I love the whole the whole section on the friends and, and how the conversations that you should be having. You, you pose the question: Should you have money conversations with your friends? So, when is that useful, and when is that not a good idea? I feel it is very useful when you need to be setting a healthy boundary, and you also want to be providing context. And I'm just going to use the low-hanging fruit here of wedding season because <laughs> it is very easy <laughs> to get into the situation of being invited to a bunch of different weddings, all of which for some reason are out of town. And then you've also got the bachelor or bachelorette party, that engagement party, the bridal shower, like all the things that lead up to it, and then the wedding itself. And that can get really expensive. So you have to learn how to be setting boundaries. And one of the things that you can use is expressing what your budget restrictions are. And do you have to share how much debt you have? No, you do not have to share that. If you're comfortable, great. But saying something along the lines of, I really want to celebrate with you, but I'm also trying to pay off a student loan in the next six months. So I can't afford, or it's not in my budget, whatever language you want to use, to do the bridal shower and the bachelorette party and the wedding what is most important mm. to you for me to attend? So offering something like that. Or also talking about, I love the counter offer idea of you get invited to, let's say, a birthday dinner. You know this is going to be a situation where you order a side salad and a water. This person orders a $30 steak. They ask to split the bill at the end of the night. You don't want to do that. So you can opt out entirely. 
by saying, hey, I really want to celebrate your birthday. How about I just come for a nightcap or dessert at the end or what have you in order to avoid that initial dinner part of it? Or, you know, I'm really just trying to pay off this last credit card debt that I have. I'm really trying to save some money. I would love to still celebrate. How about you come over and I'll cook you a special meal? So offering alternatives as opposed to just saying no. Because if you just say no, people are left to guess why. And if you haven't given them any context, listen, we're pretty self-absorbed creatures. We're probably going to think it's about us. So your friend's probably going <laughs> to think they did something wrong and not assume that, hey, you're on a budget and just can't afford to do it, and you're a bit too embarrassed to say so. You know, Aaron, I remember an occasion has been has, had to have been 25, 30 years ago where my wife and I were with this couple at a restaurant that I would have never picked because it was so expensive. And he proceeded to rack up quite the bill. And I thought to myself, he's going to request that we split the bill down the middle, and I'm going to be paying for most of his night out. How can you avoid a scenario like that without looking like a cheapskate? Ooh, the looking like a cheapskate part can be hard because it's kind of <laughs> two big options. It's opting out entirely or, you know, opting in for parts, coming at the beginning for a drink and leaving before dinner starts or coming at the end after they've paid the bill and meeting them at a second location for something else is one of the ways to sort of dodge it. The other, and this is a quote that one of the women I interviewed for the book offered up that I thought was so good, where she goes, think about what, is go what are you going to resent less? Are you going to resent having to then stew on paying that amount of money, or is it going to be a little embarrassing to stand up and say, hey, this isn't in my budget. I can only afford to pay for what I ordered. But then you don't have to deal with the resentment for days at a time and possibly even let that fester and like be toxic in the relationship you have with that person. So it's really, is it a, an embarrassment game or a resentment game? And which one are we more comfortable going with? And I think for a lot of us, we'd go with a bit of a short-term embarrassment to avoid that days and days of festering and being mad and all of that about the pain on the back end. The name of the book is Broke Millennial Talks Money, Script Stories and Advice to Navigate Awkward Financial Conversations. One of the things I've, I want to mention again is that by reading through this book, of course, this is about money talks, but this also helps you develop a, a, a skill set for talking about just any kind of a tough subject. Uh, you know, Aaron, I was doing an interview yesterday, and the subject of goal setting came up. And I asked the author, how do you effectively set goals and he said, without hesitation, get an accountability partner. Now, you give that mm -hmm. advice when it comes to debt. I love this uh, piece of advice. Now, there is an ugly personal fact no one wants to talk about is their debt. Yet an accountability partner could be the reason you are successful getting out of debt. Talk a little bit about that conversation. Well, I love when it can happen with a friend so that your friend also then has context about why you say no to certain things. Mm -hmm. But having an accountability buddy is really a way to, one, celebrate the wins that you have along the way, commiserate about the missteps. And I do feel it's really important to acknowledge that most of us on our journey to debt freedom will have some sort of little slip up here and there. And it's important to Acknowledge it, understand why it happened, but then release it and let it go and keep mm. moving on instead of continuing to fixate on the fact that we made a mistake in this process. But having somebody that you can turn to and, you know, give a call if you're feeling frustrated is really helpful. And sometimes that's a friend, sometimes it's a sibling or a parent, it might be a spouse or a romantic partner. 
But another big thing that I really recommend doing, particularly for couples who are paying down money, paying down debt together, is to track it, to create whether it's a spreadsheet or that kind of classic thermometer looking tracker, whatever works for you so you visually can go back and see the progress that you made. Because inevitably there's going to be a point where it feels like you're just not moving forward as quickly as you want. There's still so much to go. You just feel demoralized. So to be able to look back and see how far you've come from the beginning of this process really can be impactful. One other uh, subject that you cover that I think is extremely important, and, and people just don't have these conversations because they don't know how to, is the conversation between an adult child and an aging parent, an elderly parent. And uh, you, don't ha you have no idea what kind of debt that, that your parent has. You have no idea how much assets, if you're going to have to take care of them. This is something someone should know. How do you have that conversation without looking like, oh, he's just after or she's just after my inheritance? Well, first, don't bring that up. <laughs> That's the first way to not look like you're coming for it. Don't mention will, don't mention inheritance, don't use any of that language. I do think you should talk about estate planning, but you should also be talking more about the documents that matter while your parent is still alive. So powers of attorney, advanced healthcare directives. And you also want to be bringing those up from a place of caring and the place of reducing stress and anxiety in a situation where they might need to be used and making sure that your parent gets to advocate for themselves and decide for themselves what they would want and that it's in writing and that it's legal. So that's one of the big steps. But when it comes to asking, you know, hey, can you afford to retire? Am I your retirement plan? I really like the idea of asking for advice and using that as context clues. Mm. So maybe it's you recently got married and you're trying to set up your own power of attorney and will and all of that. And then, you know, oh, Joe and I just got married and we're trying to figure out how to get all this paperwork done. How did you guys decide all of this stuff? Or who did you guys use? And maybe your parents are like, yeah, we never, we, it's not that important. Your dad will get everything. Your mom will get everything. So don't worry about it. You can also use that as an opening of, well, do you know what the state laws are around that? It might not actually be what you think it is. We want to make sure that what you want is actually how it would work out if, if you don't do the paperwork for yourself. The other thing is asking advice around, oh, I just got this new 401k plan and I'm trying to figure out what investments I should do. How did you guys decide how to set up your retirement plans? Maybe the answer is, we don't, or I have a pension, or, oh, we did X, Y, Z. The answer gives you a lot of insights. So it's a way to just sort of begin the conversation and start collecting context clues. I also recommend talking to siblings, seeing if your siblings have gotten any information. And then eventually, you can also just be really direct. Hey, mom and dad, we love you. We're just thinking about the future. What are you thinking retirement's going to look like for you? You know, if we need to support you in any way, we want to have a conversation about now what that looks like, what you would want, what makes you feel comfortable, and do not bulldoze. I think that's the other really big thing is making sure that this is not a you as the child are trying to parent your parent and you're just commanding them to make certain decisions and do things in a certain way. They are adults with their own lives and with a set of level of autonomy, and you have to respect that as well. What a uh, tough conversation that has a lot of dynamics associated with it. And you know, the funny thing about it is we're at the end of our time together here, Aaron, but the, the funny thing about it is we haven't even talked about the hardest scenario in the book to talk about is money and marriage. And you, you cover that extensively as well as what to do if you're in an engagement. 
cover just about everything. And uh, the name of the book is Broke Millennial Talks Money, Script Stories and Advice to Navigate Awkward Financial Conversations. Aaron, it's been a pleasure and congratulate on the book. I think this is a must read. Thank you so much. It was great being here and talking with you. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Listen, if you've got a question for me, please go to the website at www.prudentmoney.com and send it in. I will get that taken care of for you. The name of the book, again, is Broke Millennial Talks Money, Script Stories and Advice to Navigate Awkward Financial Conversations. I, I tell you, the, the the common thread throughout this entire book that I like the most is that it's about developing a skill set, and that's effective communication on awkward subjects. Money's not the only awkward subject that we have, and I love the uh, the chapter where she talks about about uh, how to negotiate for a raise, and you could almost put uh, any word in there that you want to, how to negotiate for whatever. And then the the common situations that happen to us as far as, you know, who uh, your your friend group and the, the people that you hang out with, they all there's probably if there's four or five individuals, there's probably a range of incomes in there. And the people making more the, the most money are probably going to want to go out to an expensive restaurant, whereas you might be at the end at the bottom end of that range. And uh, you, you can't really afford to go to an expensive restaurant. And she details out how to handle that. And then uh, the, th- the one about weddings is the chapter about weddings is a good one from the standpoint of really setting your boundaries, but doing it in, in a very caring, uh, diplomatic way that you're not, uh, that you're not uh, making somebody upset or making somebody mad. And one of the things I wanted to talk to her about when we were talking about adult children and dealing with their parents and if if you are if you're on the parent side and you have not sat down with your children and explained where everything is and it, it's really something that's so very important to do and i found that that adds a layer of protection in there especially against elder abuse financial abuse and scams and she even covers that in the book about uh, what conversations to to be having with your parents about these serious matters that can really cause a lot of disruption. And then uh, there's the the chapter towards the end of the book that it says it just got really serious money and marriage. And of course we could we could spend hours talking about that and talking about the importance of effective communication and not making some your spouse right wrong and making you right, which is all in arguments about, but to really open up the flow of communication. And the thing is, as we wrap this up, I, I mean, I, I think it comes down to the reason we don't have these conversations is because we don't know that, how to couch them, how to express ourselves, the right words to use. And that's one of the things that uh, I probably like the most about the book is that she gives you the... The scripts. Now, you're obviously not going to sit there and read a script word for word, but it, it gives you an idea of how to start off the conversation, what to say, and uh, how to make sure that you are effectively communicating. And I'll tell you, if there's one thing that we don't do very well, and that's communicate. And, uh, and, and, and not communicating is communicating. So once again, the name of the book is Broke Millennial Talks Money, Script Stories and Advice to Navigate 
awkward financial conversations. Hey, this is Bob Brooks, and if you have a question for me, please go to the website, www.prudentmoney.com, because we are all out of time. Until we do meet again next time, keep the faith and have a great rest of the day. That's all the time we have for today. Questions or comments for Bob or to find out more great information like what you've just heard, visit www.prudentmoney.com. Be sure to join Bob Brooks again for the next edition of Prudent Money. Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3.